For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the Believe in Badgers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by BetOnline.ag. Once again, I'm Matt Perkins, joined today by returning champion with no Bernie in the house, but that's okay. Because, like I said, we've got the returning champ, David Mormon. David, it's so good to see you. Matt, great to see you, man. Um, You know, I'm sad I'm not with Bernie, but I'll gladly be his backup and step up to the plate. I'm excited to be here and help you co-host today. Um, yeah, I'm pumped. Well, uh, and uh, you brought a friend with you. I, I did. So who'd you, why don't you let us know who you brought with us with you today? Yeah. So I figured, you know, I, former line, I've lost a little weight. I needed to bring another big fella to the table who, uh, still has his stature about him to really make this a true, true worthwhile podcast. So bringing Tyler beach on, um, you know, Tyler and I played together, for a few years when I was there, we were on the, the um, big time West championship team back in 2019 uh, when we were still humming and, you know, Tyler's been, um, you know, he's been a great friend of mine and he's gone through an interesting last couple of years, just with all the changes that have happened. He played through the COVID season, which was, you know, really interesting. And then, you know, most recently this past season with all the coaching changes and turmoil they went through. Now he's in New Jersey. He's uh, training for the draft. He's going to do great things. So, was super excited that Tyler was able to come on and I'm pumped to let the fans hear from him. Yeah. It's, it's awesome to be on. It's, it's awesome to meet you now, Matt. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like yeah. we, we've actually DM'd like a bunch before. So this was actually like, this was, you know, uh, 
uh, what's we're looking for kismet or whatever it is that uh, you're able to hop on with us today i'm super excited i know the fans are excited we're also excited to remind you guys that we are presented by betonline.ag where they remain your number one source for all of your online sports wagering needs you name it they've got it over at betonline.ag especially as nba season ramps up towards the postseason baseball's back you guys know where you need to go head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code believe that's b l e a v bet online where the game starts all right uh today though we're going to start first of all we sent a shout out on social media asking you guys for questions and boy did we get questions which i absolutely love seeing um so uh the first question though uh that we have to ask is uh how did you get so sexy david mormon <laughs> was that actually a question that came uh, through? That is one question from Gabe Lloyd. <laughs> Gabe. Dude, Gabe is the one who, all right. So Gabe Lloyd, for everyone who knows, Gabe was a tight end a uh, year younger than me. So he was class of, gosh, graduated 20, 2020. But he uh, was a tight end. He was one of those guys that just came in scrappy, clawed his way. He was a great special teams player. Injuries hurt him at the end. Yeah, I think he ended up going to uh, NDSU and finished his career there. But now he's like a TikTok star. He's like really into uh, like vintage clothing. And he like literally has an account where he just goes around northern Wisconsin, I think, like going to different thrift stores and like talking about his finds and like redoing like these custom hats. So I don't know. He, I think he has like close to like 100,000 followers on like Instagram and TikTok. So I, to answer that question, I'm just trying to look like Gabe. That's yeah. That's all that matters. I want to be like him. All right. And then uh, second uh, second question. This can go to both of you guys. Who's your favorite strength coach of all time and why is it Costi? I think you know who that came from. <laughs> Do you know what? I mean, Tyler, you know firsthand. Like, our, our entire strength staff was unreal. Like, Coach K, Coach Smee, um, you know, all the guys that came in, Coach Graves. Like, everyone was great. But day one, you come in as an offensive lineman recruit. The, a person that immediately comes up to you is Costi, right? And right away, he gives you a nickname within that first summer. And then the nickname will legit stick with you for like the next like four or five years. Um, but, you know, like he's a hilarious guy for everyone who's met him. Um, he's an all-time legend. And, and really, like, he knows what it takes to be great at Wisconsin and what a great offensive lineman, you know, looks like on and off the field and the things that he does. It's work hard, play hard. Um, and no one did it better than Costi. So he, he's the best of all time. And Tyler, you probably know that. I mean... You, yeah, he. I mean, it's like having a second a line coach like in the weight room at all times. Like especially this past year, like he was super helpful with us, like helping us with like coaching techniques and stuff. And he's an awesome. He's, he's hilarious too. He's really hilarious. So it's right, like so, having like. So what are the nicknames then? Though? What what was your nickname from Costi? <laughs> I don't know if I could say it on here, but it, I, it, I, I I have an edit button. Don't worry. It's uh, it, it was uh, Taylor. All right, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, uh, Mormon, what'd you get? He, so his mine was Moorhead. Um, I mean, that, that wasn't his best work. There's some there's some ones out there that are pretty hilarious. But like, so we came in. Um, Michael Dieter was the golden boy because you know he came in and at first he enrolled early. He was dominating that spring. He almost played Costi senior year that last year with Gary Anderson. And they made I think they made the big 10 championship. And then the next year he was like an automatic starter. And he was like the leader of our line for f the four years he was there um, afterwards. 
And after, um, I think after Costi left though, I had a pretty, or after, excuse me, after uh, Dieter left, I had a pretty decent spring ball and like Rudy was talking about me. So I became golden boy for at least like three weeks during the spring and then camp happened. That wasn't me anymore, <laughs> but I, I had a short stint as the golden boy. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was pumped about Kasi, you know, getting to wear that hat for at least a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what is so so I mean we one of our favorite things to talk about here uh Tyler is uh is first year is your redshirt year uh you redshirted a lot of people redshirted what was your redshirt experience like what was your time on the practice squad like like walk us through some of your your favorite moments from the practice squad because I think a lot of the best stories of the way we get to know guys is through what they experienced in that first season yeah I'd say like your extra year is always just like a transition year for the most part, just picking up the speed of the game, like huge difference between high school and college uh, ball for sure. But I just like one of my, one of my biggest memories was like, I remember it was the, the first day. I didn't really know the playbook. We were doing a young guy team at the end of practice. And I was next to a guy, his name was Alex Fenton. He's a part of, he was a part of the program for a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember we were doing young guy team and um, we had all these plays that we had no idea what we were running and he just looks at me, he's like, what are we supposed to do? And I was like, just block the guy in front of you. And so we just did that the whole like first practice. I remember Coach Rudolph was screaming his tail off at us. Like, what the f- are you guys doing? You know, we had no idea what we were doing. Just young guys running around. But um, it's definitely like that, that big transition phase and like the freshman haircuts and all that. It's all just like a initiation process going through that. What was the hardest part no. of that? For, what, what was the hardest part of that for you? I'd say the hardest was just... Um, just like understanding the playbook stuff at first, like you don't realize how uh, in depth it is. Cause in high school, it's like, it's truly just like block the guy in front of you. Right. And then, but like in college, it's like, you got assignments, you got responsibilities and just kind of realizing that kind of took some time. But once you started to figure out things started to speed up quickly. Yeah. And Tyler, no, I, I hear you, man. Like I kind of went through the same thing. Like, and Matt, I feel like most offensive linemen when they come in, like it's pretty much, already made up that you're most likely going to redshirt. So you, you walk into camp and you're like, Oh, I have a whole year to kind of figure things out. Um, yeah. so during the, like the first summer when you're working out, it's a culture shock, right? Like all of a sudden, like you're working out harder than you've ever worked out a day in your life. Like you're on your own, like you're having fun. You're going to college classes for the first time. And you know, a lot of the kids, the skill positions they come in, they're like hitting the playbook hard day one, because they have a chance to play that year. And I felt victim to this. Like I didn't necessarily hit the playbook as hard as I should have that first summer. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm not gonna get a single rep during fall camp. All of a sudden fall camp comes around and like Rudy tells you, all right, boys get in there. And they call like ice gap. And you're like, what, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know ice gap. Like, and like, Oh, like, you know, where's the point? I'm like, what's the point? Like, I have no idea what that is. Like, where's the mic? So I feel victim to that for sure. And I think it's gotten the best of us at a certain point. Do you think I've actually, uh, this is something I, I want to ask you guys, because one of my favorite adages about college football is that the further you are away from the ball, the easier it is to play early. Do you think that's true? Like, so like wide receivers and corners, you're, it's, you're more likely to get on the field early than you are if you are, you know, an interior lineman. Do you know what? I think it's, um, it's one of those things when you are just a great athlete and you're like lights out, like speed, you're very strong. And you don't, you're, you're kind of out there on an island by yourself. You can, your, your natural talent can just kind of show, right? You don't have to rely on the guy next to you. Like, obviously, you have to rely on your quarterback to get you the ball. And if you're, you know, blocking, um, you know, you want to make sure the running back makes the right cut and makes you look good and things of that nature. But as a tailback, um, as, a, as a DB, 
as a linebacker um, or like a defensive end in certain cases, right? Like people who can just go play football. Like it's really easy to come in early offensive line. In my opinion, is one of those positions that it's kind of challenging to come in and play at an early age because you have to learn how to play with the guy next to you, right? You have to take in so many different things in order to be successful. It's really hard. Like Tyler said, to come in and just block the guy in front of you because your, our offense does 10 different things based off of, you know, the certain front, the defense puts in front of you. And then you have to learn how to, you know, get in a rhythm with your, if you're tackle with the guard, with the guard, with the center um, and, you know, with tight ends as well, especially in the offense that we played in for so long. So I think that just takes time and it takes continuity and you just got to keep grinding and getting better there. And then eventually it clicks. And once you have that, it, it makes it all worthwhile. But Tyler, I don't know. Would you disagree? No, I would agree with you. Like I, that, that whole like retro years, just like building relationships with like the rest of the team. So that way you're able to play well, like with everybody. Cause like you were saying, like, it's all about continuity with the O-line, like knowing who you're playing with, like how the guy next to you plays. Like that first whole year is like kind of like building friendships, you know, with everybody and then kind of developing like, you know, how that guy plays or understanding how he plays and just associated with that. That kind of helps you like throughout your process too. Yeah, actually, and what what are the questions I actually wanted to ask about that? Because I know something that Coach Rudolph prided himself on was cross-training positions. And you guys all played a bunch of different positions across the line. I mean, I think, what, uh, Tyler, did you start at, what, three different positions? Four different positions, I, I think, during your career? At yeah, least I, three. It's at least yeah. both tackles and left guard. I don't know if you started right guard ever, but I know you played there a little bit. Yeah. Emo, I, think, I think you played every position that. during your time. Yeah. Like, what is that hard to pick up? Because you guys were probably both, you know, left tackles in high school, I assume. You know, you know the glamour position. You, you don't get a scholarship to Wisconsin if you're not doing that, probably. Um, what was it like going from playing, you know, just on the blind side on an island by yourself to having to learn all these different positions? Like, I'll ask you first, Tyler, because you played, you know, most recently. Right. So, like, I was, you know, tackle was always, like, in pass protection, like, it was always tougher because it was like, you're on an island, you know, you may or may not get the slide your way. But then this past year when I was playing guard, I was like, wow, things are so much easier in here. <laughs> You'd said <set>, sometimes <laughs> guy to block, sometimes you wouldn't. So it was like, a, it's a huge difference from playing outside of the interior. And then, like, for me, I uh, played a little tight end, you know, a little of the O-line tight end history with Demo as well because there's a big uh, line of succession in there. And then I did a little fullback as well back in the day. So, uh, yeah, a little little mix and match around that. Tyler, watch your, watch your tongue with the, the Garver's tackle. No, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, <laughs> no, I mean, both, I mean, I think both positions put like, um, pose different challenges, right? Like I came in and I was one of those guys where like similar to Tyler right off the bat, like, you know, they think that you're, you're athletic enough to play tackle. So they kind of put you there and they say, get good at it. And then as your body develops, you kind of realize that maybe my best position would be to bump interior a little bit and let somebody else come in at tackle. And I think the biggest challenge or excuse me, the biggest difference for me is just like the type of sets you take, right? Like at tackle, it's way more of a sort of a mind game, right? Like where certain players, you just got to get depth right off the bat because you know, if you, you, you don't get that depth, like you're going to get absolutely destroyed. But then some players, you know what I mean? Who are like those stronger stockier guys. You kind of want to take them like right on the line and, and mix in a couple hard sets. And, um, you know, and, but the no most important thing is living your life square, which is Rudy used to always say, is just like, you got to be square to the line of scrimmage because 
then it's really hard for guys to, you know, rip inside or make a spin move on you and get you in an uncomfortable position. So that was the main thing at tackle. But then when you jump in at guard, at least in pass pro, like it's, it's pretty helpful because usually you just have a three technique or you have like a, a, like a nose you're coming down and giving help on. So it just makes your life a little bit easier and you don't necessarily have to worry about the DN who runs a, a fourth three or the Zach bonds of the world who are like outside linebackers, but they can rush the passer better than anybody you know, out there. So it, it kind of simplifies it. And at that point it's just being a brute, but being a guard and Tyler, you probably know this firsthand, like you just have to really be able to cover a lot of ground in the run game. Right. Cause you got to go reach those wide threes. And um, so much of what we do at guard is opening up the run game, open up those alleys up the middle. So guys like JT or Braylon can hit those big runs and not necessarily have to bounce everything outside. So I think that was really the big difference for me, but would you, I mean, would you agree with that? Or do you have a different experience with making that yeah. move? Yeah, I agree. Like for our offense, like specifically the point of attack was always at the interior position. Like, I mean, there'd be times where you could be a tackle and you could have like a reach on somebody and you could put like a, a stop sign out there and it'd do just as good as you would at reaching those, those five techniques. So it was like, that's the offense was like in the run game was just built around those interior threes, just kind of getting movement. Uh, like Demo said, just, you know, gaining enough ground to be able to cover all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Wisconsin's always had a lot of movement with the offensive line, even going back to the Barry Alvarez days, you see a lot of pulling and trapping, you know, e even when they're running Grande in power, basically. And it, the, the same thing has happened for a long time. Was that sort of something that, I mean, you knew going into Wisconsin, Tyler, and was that something that attracted you to Wisconsin? Is that the type of, did you care about sort of like what kind of offense you were playing in during the recruiting process? Yeah, like a lot of it was, you know, Wisconsin was like a heavy, heavy pro style offense. And, you know, viewing that, like it kind of, I kind of thought about it. It was like, it'd make, you know, transition from college to pro a lot easier. And I was a young kid kind of just, you know, still thinking about that kind of stuff. But, you know, as I've gone through like, you know, the processes now and, and playing in the hula bowl and, you know, talking to, to uh, NFL scouts and, and coaches, um, you know, a lot of the stuff is, is, you know, really similar to, you know, Wisconsin's pro style offense. Like, a lot of the same schemes, a lot of the same techniques. Like I've been able to translate a ton of that stuff over to that. Tyler question for you, man. Cause you, you bring it up. Like you're going through the pre-draft process right now. Like you had the hula bowl, you performed really well there. There's great reports coming out about your status, you know, moving forward and the opportunity that's going to present itself. But I have to imagine the transition from being so team oriented till this like weird period of your life where it's all about yourself. Right. And, getting yourself ready for the next level. I have to imagine that's been a huge difference in your mindset. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, cause you know, what Wisconsin is all about, like, you know, put the team first and that's, that's the mentality. Like every O-line coach, you know, drills into us and, you know, our process, like going through the season. So, you know, having to like, just focus on yourself and just to be about you has been definitely weird. It's uh, you know, like putting yourself first, you know, being a little selfish at times. So it's, it's definitely just a, it's a, it's a difference. Definitely for sure. Demo. I'm sure, man. No, I, it's, I, I always say this is like, aside from the, the military football, college football, especially at the level, you know, Wisconsin's at is probably the most regulated as far as, you know, time goes, right? Like you only get certain days, certain weeks off in the entire year. Otherwise, you know, your butt's expected to be at the right place at the right time. And I got to imagine like going through this pre-draft process and being able to focus on yourself and um, just really dive into working out, but also having a little bit more freedom. Uh, but at the same time, you can't fully accept it right now because your eyes on the prize has got to be a different 
different mindset. At least for me, it would have been. Um, but I have to imagine, you know, pro days coming up. We talked about it the other day, but you know, for the pro day, what are you most excited for? Is there a particular exercise or drill that you're really looking forward to, or is it just kind of getting back with the guys you grinded with for the past couple of years and, you know, getting a chance to go through that really cool moment with them? Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to be cool to see all the guys that um, I played with this past year and kind of the dudes that, you know, all the dudes that are achieving their dreams and especially seeing Titman and stuff, like I'll be excited to see him. Um, so yeah, like there, you know, there's no drills like specifically that I can think of, you know, that I'm, I'm really excited for, but just kind of like showing out for everybody, you know, coming back to Wisconsin and, you know, just busting my tail. So what's the thing that you'd say you, you feel like you've been focusing the most on right now in this, in this time period between the bowl game and draft day? I would say a lot of it is just like the running portion stuff. Cause you know, like it's, it's like, we'll, we'll do it. Like we'll do it. Uh, like before, like we do spring ball, we'll do some like testing and stuff and wear workouts, you know, during college season, um, you know, we'll test like five, 10, five and L drill and 40, you know, a little bit, but then like, you don't realize the amount of running that you actually have to do in preparation for all, for all this stuff. It's definitely not fun for a big man. I'll say that, but, um, <laughs> it's good. Like just, just having to to do all this and like learning from, you know, the best of the best. Like we had, we had, uh, an Olympic runner come in and go through us, go through uh 40 yard dashes with us. And it, it was so cool. Like the different, you know, things that are about it. I mean, there's so many details, I guess you could say that, that are with it, that, you know, you'd never think that you'd have to think about. So just realizing all like the small things that are a part of it is definitely different. So I, I want to go back just a little bit back to Port Washington High School uh, here uh, for, uh, for a minute because uh, I want to talk a little bit more about your, you know, we, we got some great stories from Dave when he was on about his recruiting experience. And you were another guy, I mean, you were recruited by tons and tons and tons of programs. What was A, our, our first question in this is usually A, when did you realize you could play football at the next level? And then B, like, what made, what was your official visit to Wisconsin like? Yeah. So like the, the time that I realized that I think I was, you know, good enough to play, you know, big time football. I remember I was, uh, I was a sophomore going into my, um, or I was a freshman going into my sophomore year and I, and I just made varsity and I was, I was starting to kind of fill into my body and I was losing some of that baby fat. I, you know, got a lot taller. And I remember I went to this, this, uh, local Wisconsin camp. It was called the WFCA combine. And it was just like this, this cool little camp and. I remember I like, I did pretty well at it and I had like, uh, Illinois state's coaches came up to me and, and talked to me and sent me a letter and stuff. And I, I was like, Oh wow. Like I, you know, I got an opportunity to play, you know, division one football, you know, whatever, whatever level that may be at. So I was, uh, I was really excited for that. And just having that opportunity was, uh, was super cool. And then like going to Wisconsin, like, you know, making that decision, um, you know, like Joe Rudolph was like the guy that, you know, he was kind of like the big, the big piece of me is why I wanted to go there. Like, He's awesome, dude. Like the way he spoke, you know, the things he talked about, like I, I greatly appreciated it. And, you know, I, I may not have entirely knew, known what I was into when I got there, but, uh, I was, I was happy about it when I got there and realized, you know, why he was doing all the stuff he was. What makes coach Rudolph special? I would say just, you know, his attitude on camaraderie and, you know, the way he talks about like being a group, you know, being a team, um, just his approach to that is, is something that's special that, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of coaches have, um, you know, it's, it's almost like, um, it's just something that you just don't see. It's, it's weird to explain, but we'd be in meetings and rather than talking about football, we, 
sometimes spend half the meeting of him telling like some crazy story that has nothing to do with football that you think. And then at the very end, he somehow ties it back to some lesson that has to do with like, the like game. A, yeah. a day in square or something. There's just something ridiculous like that. But it was like, he would do these ridiculous stories to get you to remember these things, which is what was like fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and Matt, like, I think the, the beautiful thing about coach Rudolph is he put so much detail into our meetings. Right. And like Tyler said, he would go on these, you know, long stories and you're like, what's the point? And then he ties it back. So that was, you know, it made life interesting because you, you're in these meeting rooms for so long, you're grinding every day. So it's nice to be able to have that break and learn the game of football that way. But at the same time, he did such a great job of preparing us like each day, whether it's a spring ball practice, whether it's getting ready and hit a PR and winter workouts. And then, you know, most importantly going through like the season, we knew exactly what defenses were going to run as far as stunts go every single game. He made sure that we were drilling each thing uh, day in and day out of practice, whether I was getting out there super early or, you know, staying after practice late when all the, everybody else is in the locker room already showered up and we're still grinding on the field. Like he did all of those things that in the moment you're like, you're pissed at them. You, you don't necessarily appreciate, but I, you know, when we were winning on Saturday, that's when you appreciate it the most. And now, so I'm like even, you know, moved on from my football life and I'm now in my career, like, you know, being detailed in every aspect of my life now has been um, super helpful. Right. And I attribute a lot of that to the lessons I learned from coach Rudolph. So that was, that was the main thing. And then two, like, um, like Tyler said, like just the lessons you learned from his life, like super interesting guy, right. He was one of the original Wisconsin Rose bowl offensive line that really just kind of set the tone and really created the tradition that Wisconsin offensive lineman is today. Um, but he went through some challenges in his life. And I remember there's something you shared, like he was going through something. He went downstairs and he opened up a random book that on his parents' bookshelf. And it was, um, I forget the author, but it was a quote from a Holocaust survivor. And he said, and the quote was somewhere between stimulus and, and response is the freedom to choose. Yep. Right. And Rudy kind of comes up and he's like, Hey, you can't always control what happens in your life. Um, you can't control adversity. You can't control challenges. You can't control, you know, a big D lineman swimming past you or bull rushing you and, you know, sacking the quarterback, but what you can control and what you can choose to do is how you respond. Right. And so I think that always has, you know, really, you know, stuck with me and throughout my life, that's kind of like the one mantra or um, quote I sort of like live by on a daily basis. And, for, you know, for that reason, getting it from coach Rudolph and having him apply it to football in the moment, but now it applies to so many other areas of life. That's just kind of the dude and mentor and leader and men that he is. And I'm super appreciative for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously like everyone we've talked to who's been coached by coach Rudolph has talked about that sort of uh, that culture he establishes. And this actually sort of blends right in with one of the questions that uh, we got from what I'm assuming is Tweetly, unless it's T Wheatley 51. Um, thanks for sending the question, but they want to know uh, what key attributes contribute to good locker room culture. Um, and so, you know, I will sort of open up the floor to both of you guys here. I guess I'll start with you, Tyler. Like, at least like what to you is most responsible for good locker room culture? Is it, is it leaders? Is it coaches? Is it certain, is it, you know, it's open-ended question here. Yeah. I'd say it's like, it's a mix of all, of all of them, right? Like I think the most important aspect of, of locker room culture is like having the respect and like people liking each other in the locker room. I, I think that's like the biggest piece is, is guys got to be friends. Like dudes got to be able to like hang out outside of the football field. Um, you know, like even if it's like going to parties and stuff, like just having that, that culture of, of like being close enough with somebody to be able to tell them when they're doing something wrong 
is kind of like the the culture that that I think drives like a winning program. Because if if you have that kind of relationship with somebody, you know, you you're not afraid to to stand up and say like, hey man, like you shouldn't be doing that, or you got to pick it up, like in a game or even a practice or even in like their um, their study sessions for like film and stuff. Like just being able to approach that, like approach those people and just rather than you know being shy about it because you don't know them. Like if you know the guy, like you can say something about it. I don't know. What do you think, Demo? No, I think Tyler hit on the head. Um, but th- I mean, the main thing that I kind of think about and it goes back to what coach Chris used to always like say is be authentic. Right. And really what I mean by that is like the locker room. I mean, especially at Wisconsin, like everyone's a great guy for the most part, but like also we're at the same time, like a family and we're very protective of, you know, the guys in the locker room and the tradition and everything we, we do on a daily basis. And if you come in and you're not like authentic, you're not yourself. You try to be something that you're not it's really easy to like read and we spit you out and we chew you out. And the guys who haven't made it, I would say the number one thing is they weren't themselves. They try to overcompensate for some stuff and um, that causes division. And then at at a certain point, like you you just, it was program like Wisconsin with the type of guys we have in the locker room with, you know, everything the program stands for, you're just not going to make it. So I think that's probably the most important thing. That's that. I I think that's a really interesting, I think that's a really interesting answer though, because I think that, um, it, it goes to what you guys are both talking about is accountability and respect, right? Like yeah. respect that if uh, what Tyler says, like if you tell a guy, hey, you're doing this wrong, they're not going to be like, why are you lashing out at me? Why are you picking on me? Why do you hate me? It's no, because you actually like love me and care about me that you right. want to do that. And I think that it's something that's very applicable, not just for locker room cultures, but for corporate cultures, for you know, any sort of large group setting. Um, another question we had uh, from... Uh, from the folks, Nick Noss wants to know, uh, David, did you hate Joel Klatt for what he said about you during the Ohio State game? <laughs> do you, do you, do you, what a question. Uh, <laughs> Matt, do you remember what he said about me during the Ohio I d- State I game? I don't. I have no recollection of what he said about you. So, so I, I mean, I, I was on the field, so I heard <laughs> after the fact. But, I mean, that game in 2019, like, we just got upset by Illinois the week before, which was brutal. And then we play Ohio State. And Chase Young is like, you know, the hot thing in college football at that point. And we uh, basically, we knew he was going to be over Cole and Cole's on like all American. So Cole handled his own, but it was kind of like, David, whenever you have a, a position to, you know, like first responsibility, peak the mic, see if it's blitzing. If he's not blitzing, you go give help to Cole right away just to be there for extra support. And I think it was like, it was a second half. They were starting to pull away. And, um, <laughs> we have a, you know, I think it's third down in like eight or something. We have a pass for all of a sudden it's me in the mic and I peek the mic and he doesn't look like he's going to come, but I like hesitate just a little too long. And I go to give help to Cole. And I think Chase got Cole with an inside move and Cole thought I was going to be there for support, but he just went boom right by me and sack Jack and Joe Klatt on big noon kickoff national TV. Fox goes, David Mormon, more like David, the open doorman. And so, uh, yeah, the rest of the year, everyone to this day calls me the open door, man. Where were they seeing me? It was so bad. We were, we were, we were, I remember we were on the flight back from, I was emailing you know, flight back and I look over it and I like, I get it. Like rough games are tough. I totally get it. I have been in demo shoes plenty of times. And I remember I look over at Demo's phone and he's got hurt by Johnny cash playing on the flight back. <laughs> That's all I could do. This is after we saw because sometimes, 
<laughs> sometimes we would like search up our names just kind of for fun, like after games, just to see what people say. Like we wouldn't care, but sometimes some of the stuff would be funny, like the open dormant stuff. So like, I remember we were just looking at that and I was just like, Oh, well, I remember like, I didn't know what happened. And I like, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have hopped on Twitter, but I hopped on Twitter and my buddy from high school, shout out Alec Morgan, one of my closest friends to this day. He like was in a Twitter fight with some guy. And I was like, why is he a Twitter fight? What's Alex saying? And I hop in and it's like, somebody tweeted like this quote tweeted Joe Clatt, like David, the open door man. And uh, my buddy, Alec, like hopped on him, like preach him defending me. But it was just like, I don't know. Like you're just down bad. Like we just lost two games that, you know, Ohio state game. We all knew that was gonna be a battle, but it was just the fact that we just felt like the season was kind of slipping away from us when we came in six and zero, and like, all you could do at that point is like learn from your mistakes and you gotta like laugh it off. So sometimes you like pretend like you're going through a breakup or something. And you listen to like breakup songs, like hurt by Johnny cash. And I, like, <laughs> and uh, I think after that, it was like, whatever that song is like, goodbye, my lover, like goodbye, goodbye my, my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so no, that no was, exactly uh, that was saying. tough, but I do what? no ill will towards Joe Clatt. Every time I see him, like I, I get a good laugh out of it and we got a memory with the boys, but he did come at me pretty hard. I will say, but Oh, well, this is the territory. We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been there is right. Um, Okay, another question. We we have so many questions. Uh, This is from uh, your former teammate and uh, former in front of the show, former guest on the show, Dave Foth. Uh, He wants to know that uh, uh, for you, Demo, how how did you trim down so much after graduation to become the stud that you are? And then tell us about uh, something that happened in your town's high school bowling alley after a football hall of fame. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I guess like the weight loss thing, I mean, I remember it was my seat. It was my senior year and like Joe Thomas was helping out after he was retired. And like, obviously Joe Thomas is like the male model, like Mr. Suave that he is now just an absolute beast. And I remember just at the time I was like, didn't know if, you know, the NFL was going to work out. I was like, all right, pretty soon my football days might be done. And at that moment I was like, damn, like it's either going to go one of two ways. I'm either going to blow up and just be like a washed up fat guy, or I can try to be like Joe Thomas. And so at that time he was getting a lot of publicity. So I just kind of like looked at everything he was doing. And then when I finished playing, I started just being like, all right, like I'm a, I'm a single dude, like life in front of me. I'm just going to really lock in. on just trying to make this happen. So I, and then COVID hit. And then during COVID, I like had the opportunity where like, you know, wasn't a whole lot going on. So I just kind of like, maybe not the healthiest. I kind of starved myself a little bit. And then COVID ended or like kind of ended, you know, the lockup ended. I was able to go back in the gym. And at that point um, I was like, Oh, I got to get back into this. And then I flew out to Vegas to live with Alec Ingold for a little bit when he was playing for the Raiders. And I was like debating if I'm going to give it another shot. Like I was thinking about coming out of like my early retirement to play in the league. So I started training with him at a facility down there and I just got like the weightlifting bug and I fell in love with the whole process and still figured it was time to, you know, keep the, keep the cleats hung up. But from that day on, I've just kind of had the bug to make it happen. Um, and then the bowling story, I can't believe Fox pulling that one out of the archives. Uh, it was my sophomore year. We're in the cotton bowl. And like, at this point, I'm like a 320 pound backup, like should not have been 320 pounds. I just like gained bad weight and didn't really, it wasn't my best football. Let's just say that. And I come home after the bowl game and I, I go to this Novi bowl, which is like in the, my hometown, Northville and I'm bowling and like randomly, uh, <laughs> like the bowling alley owner comes over to me and he's like, Hey, like come over with me. Like, I want you to sign this pin. And I'm like, okay, like 
that's nice. Like, thanks for making me feel good about myself. And he's like, no, like I want you to be in the, uh, the bowling hall of fame. Like whenever a celebrity comes in here, like we want to put up like a pin and take a picture with, with me. And like, I think you're going to be on it. And I was like, kind of shocked. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, don't know. I'm like, I'm nothing. Like I'm a backup offensive lineman, but whatever. We take the picture and he puts up the bowling. Alley. I look up and it's like Chris Chelios, Steve Eiserman, Calvin Johnson, David Mormon, like all right next to each other. So <laughs> I, I guess in at least in Novi bullseyes, I'm in the same conversation with them, <laughs> which is absurd. You know what? In our hearts, you're above Chelios and Iserman. So that's so. So we, we'll we'll continue on with that. Um, Tyler, one of the things that I have noticed about you, and I think a lot of people have noticed about you, is that you're really good on the dance floor, especially when it comes to dancing at the basketball games. Um, what's your experience been like with that? Yeah. So, like, I guess I guess a lot of that stems from like, so like I so like my group of guys that that I was like really close with was. You know, it was Logan Bruss, Josh Seltzer, Blake Smithback, and uh, Mike Balsheri, and like that was like our our little gang, I guess you could call it. Um, and like we always like danced all the time. It was weird. It was just it was weird. weird. Yeah, it was <laughs> like Bruss, Bruss, like Logan Bruss, amazing dancer. I don't know if he'll never tell anybody that, probably, but him and Man, Blake. A pregame, a pregame with those guys, you'd go to their like apartment or their house, and it would just be like five of the largest men you've ever seen in your life and like a bottle of like sparkling apple, like foo-foo vodka. And they would just like sit in a circle and they would just take shots of like the worst vodka in the world. And they would just be like dancing. Like they're a bunch of like, you know, Greek life people at the KK, but in their house. And it was, sorry, continue. Tyler. It sounds Tyler like, I, it feels like you were probably listening to Taylor Swift while you were doing that too. That feels like the vibe to me. But. <laughs> Sometimes we throw that on there. But so like, I, I just, so like for the, for the, for the, uh, basketball games, like dancing at halftime, I remember I just got like the, uh, the cheerleaders would just ask like any of the football players. It was just like, reach out to any of them, like ask them. And I, and I got asked and I was like, screw it. I'll do it. It's so, like, I did it. And I remember like, it was, a t- it was a blast. Like it was a ton of fun. Like it it's, looks like, like fun. How much like prep goes into that? Like how many like sessions do you guys do with them? It's not a lot. It's like, maybe, I think it's maybe like a total of like four or five sessions, like for a week. And then that's it. And then you go out there and do the, like, if you watch closely, like you can tell that like half the dudes have no idea, like what's going on in the dance routine. So like, I just, I did it for uh, two years in a row. It, it's a ton of fun. Like it's a cool experience. Like I'm glad I did it, but it's just so goofy doing it. Cause we're just so big and, and dancing is just not our thing. <laughs> Who's the best dancer on the Badgers that you played with? I'd have to say Blake Smith back personally, just in my experience, I've got some videos. I've got some proof of him dancing and doing some crazy stuff. So I would have Blake to say Smith back is probably the most interesting Badger football player of the last 10 years. And uh, a lot of fans may not know of. Like, okay. So, just, so, edu- so educate us. Talent. Is he like the most interesting man of all time kind of thing or most interesting man in the world kind of thing? Or like, what makes Blake Smith back the most interesting badger of the past decades in the words of David Mormon? You know what? I think uh, and Tyler, I mean, Tyler and him are like really close, but Blake and I traveled together. Uh, we, were, we were roommates when we would travel my last year. And first of all, Blake's just a great guy, uh, but he's a, he's a walk on. Right. And he comes yep. in and, you know, right off the bat, the road for him to, to play is, is an uphill battle. And he came every day with a positive attitude that legit, like if I was in, you know, in a position like him or a lot of guys, they wouldn't be able to do, but he just came in, he kept going. He earned the trust of the entire team. Rudy, 
relied on him so much to be like sort of his, you know, his right hand man, especially developing younger guys later in his career. Like he would always hold the clipboard. That's an important job. Like you have to write down the formation, the front you're seeing each play. And it's like a really big piece of our in-game adjustments. And he relied on Blake throughout the entire process. And um, so one, like he earned the trust of everybody there, but off the field, Blake would have these like great guy, weird corks. Like one, he loves applesauce with pizza. Like, like, like dipping it in it, like yeah, on, it, on the one. pizza. That yeah. one. He also, I mean, he's very Wisconsinite too, but he loves like just he'll eat like a whole block of like cheddar cheese occasionally. Um, I mean, who hasn't? Though? Who yeah, hasn't? I mean, true. We all have done it with the pizza though and the applesauce, <laughs> all three together. <laughs> yeah. But he also, uh, in, in the words of uh, Will Ferrell, he is the the voice of Fergie and Jesus, or maybe it's John C. Riley. Uh, he is the voice of Fergie and Jesus combined. He's got a great voice. We had, we don't, in camp, we'd always have like singing co- competitions and, uh, Blake brought out, um, what is it in the deep end or no shallow It's shallow. <laughs> he, he did a rendition of shallow and stole the show. The place went nuts. It was um, like, people, we were like, he was crowd surfing. It was nuts. It was nuts. Like we were crowd, <laughs> like we created a stage with like all the, all the, uh, like the, the box jump stuff. It, it was ridiculous. It was yeah. ridiculous. He's no Blake's an all-time talent. Uh, it sounds, you know, musically, but also he's t- turns out he's a full showman. He can dance as well. So, um, shout out Blake. I think he's coaching at UW Waukesha, right? Or he's a, uh, he's a, he's a, Whitewater? Uh, yeah, he was coaching at Whitewater this past year. He was kind of like a, like a GA or mm-hmm. kind of like, cause I know, I don't know how like GAing works for, for D3, but it's like kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's helping coach like the O-line this whole past year, which is, which is pretty yeah. cool. Blake's one of those guys that 15 years from now, he's going to be an offensive coordinator at a big time school. And um, it's going to be awesome to see. So shout out Blake, all time Badger that fans don't know of, and they should get to know him. Absolutely. That that's the, this is why this is literally why like Bernie and I do the podcast. It's for that kind of stuff, right? No one is ever going to know that about Blake Smith back unless we hear it from, from, from you guys. Right. And so, hey, thank you. That's like exactly like th- that's the purpose of the show. That's the purpose of the show is to like to learn about this stuff and and you guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's like that. Um, question, I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Aaron Frey, who sent this question, who is also our favorite photographer around Madison. He does a bunch of amazing stuff at AMF Photos. Make sure you're checking out Aaron. Huge fan of the show, huge supporter of the show. So thank you, Aaron, for everything you've done. He had a thousand questions. I'm going to ask first one, though. What's your go-to place for the O-line as a unit to eat? If you guys are all going out together, where are you guys going? Oh, it changed a bunch uh, from my time there. Like when I first got there, it was the infamous Fred Robin group of like, um, <laughs> actually, no, when I first got there, it was Dan Volts and Tyler. And I forget that there was a sushi place on the east side that we would go to. It was like, all oh, you can eat sushi. And that was like, that was their place. But then after they left, Red Robin became the plot spot for like two or three years. And obviously the famous sports illustrated article, like talking about red Robin, like that was the spot. But then after they left, I don't know, Tyler, when we were there, we were just like McDonald's on Regent street, like all the way. <laughs> so I was just it's, thinking- it's, it's kind of embarrassing to think about like, but we'd all just 
literally we'd finish a meeting and we'd all hop on our mopeds and drive to McDonald's. And I'll tell you what, like, you know how sometimes McDonald's is like very hit or miss. Like sometimes the fries are cold or the burger doesn't taste as good. At least when we were there, McDonald's on Regent street was legit. Always is like the optimal, perfect McDonald's each and every time. And it was like so clean on the inside too, that like, you know, we wouldn't just get carry out and go back to somebody's house. We would all like sit there at the, the tables and we'd be there for like an hour and a half. just like talking and eating McDonald's probably going up two or three times to get more food, but that was our spot. And then Mickey's for breakfast too. But I don't know, Tyler, did it change at all after I left? Nah, not really. It was, it's always, I just remember when that McDonald's was closed cause they were, uh, they were updating it or whatever. That was like the hardest time of my life. It was like the middle <laughs> It was in the middle of camp, and they were like, oh, no. It was during camp? Yeah. You remember that? Was I there for that? You were there for that. It was so bad. They were, like, updating it. There was no McDonald's. The closest one was, like, all the way across the city that you couldn't moped to. It was terrible. Oh, yeah. But I I said I do remember that. Like, training camp is a great time, but also it's the worst time for any football player. Cause it's like, it's awesome, but there's like no, like there's no break and you're especially early training camp, like no games in sight. You're like, Oh, we have another three weeks before we even start prep on, <laughs> you know, game one opponent. So <laughs> the one thing that gets you through is like, just good times with your boys. But also it's like, you always look forward to like, all right, what are we getting when practice is done at night? And, uh, that, and everyone just goes back and like, you know, at least you have that to look forward to. But no, I, I actually remember that when McDonald's is closed when it was going through that remodel, it was a hard time in all of our lives. It was terrible. But I don't think, like, for eating places, like, I remember we had that, had that sponsorship with uh, Mission Barbecue for a little bit. You were gone, but it was uh, it was, um, it was was kind of like we just got, like, one free meal a week. And, you know, Mission Barbecue is good, and I'm really, you know, thankful for the free food and, and all the stuff we got. But, like, it just got old real quick, eating there once a week. And, um, you know, we kind of had to <laughs> drift away from that. So like it started changing into like we uh we got that Portillo's deal um this past year, which was really nice. Like dude, dudes were I I would see Joe Tipman like every time we had to go, we had to post on um on like any social media account. And I swear that I saw Joe Tipman post like Portillo's four days in a row on his Instagram, just like back to back to back on his Instagram story of him just going there and eating there. But that was kind of like advertising. past year, I would well, say. So that is actually something. So you played through the NIL transition. That's one of the things that I want to talk to you about because David, unfortunately, got out just at the wrong time. You know, right before he could have gotten, you know, the, the, the big bucks, the big meals, maybe oh, paid, yeah. step up from McDonald's. But um, so what has that been like? Like the uh, NIL sort of entering like you're actually like the perfect person to talk about this because you were there you basically had like three years with each or like sort of three and two kind of thing with with it and so what has it been like to start a like start getting these opportunities b and how has that changed sort of the locker room dynamic and has it affected the way that guys like you know higher profile guys who get the bigger deals like does that cause friction like so i have like a thousand questions but first of all what's just what's it been like for you yeah, it was definitely like when it first happened that like it was weird because it felt like wrong almost because you know how like back in the day it was like, you know, do not accept any handouts. Like if somebody pays for you, you leave a big tip. So it covers a meal like it was kind of like that, that deal. So it like felt wrong at first. And, you know, the first year that that it was going on, you know, it wasn't like especially for like O'Lyman, like we weren't, you know, we weren't, you know, expecting anything or looking for anything really. So it was it was pretty simple and, and, and basic. But 
you know, this past year, like it felt like it gained a ton of traction. And, um, you know, we had like, uh, like donors kind of reach out to, especially like the O-line group. And, um, you know, we had the, uh, NIL collective that the uh, school put together, which, which was really awesome. Like different opportunities, um, helping out the community too, which was, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, getting some money for that, which I, which I thought was sweet. So, and, um, like in the locker room, never created any friction. Like, yeah, guys were really cool about it. Like, it wasn't really like, you know, you don't really like go up to somebody and be like, how much money you make? And like, it was pretty like kept on the low and, you know, nobody was going around bragging. I just remember we had this, uh, the O-line had this, um, this, this awesome donor. He reached out and had us over at his house and, and gave us some money. Um, and we used this app called Open Doors, which is kind of how we did all of our, our NIL dealings. And I remember it was like, it was like they put it public for like everybody to see but like only the O-linemen could accept it. So like everybody was like, what the heck is this? Like they're getting up in our business and we're like, Hey man, we don't really get any, you know, any money anyways. This is like the first, you know, amount of money we're getting in the first place. So, you know, it, it never created any problems in the locker room. And if anything, it was just like funny seeing all this stuff. And, and I know there's guys like on the team that were making, you know, the big bucks and stuff. And I'm, you know, happy for them. Like yeah, that stuff. For sure. I, I think it's great opportunities yeah. for, you know, kids from like, less fortunate, you know, backgrounds, like being able to send money home. Cause I know there were kids that, you know, would be on scholarship and would have to like send part of their scholarship checks, like back to their, you know, hometowns just to help their family out. Like having this like gives those guys like an opportunity to be able to help them out. Tyler, I have to imagine too, like when, at least when I was there, obviously wasn't in the NIL era, but I feel like players for the most part were really self-aware of where they stood in the pecking order and in, you know, the fans eyes and the, in the program's eyes, like who are the top players? And, you know, if you're a backup, like, you know, where you fall in the, in the chart and it creates opportunity to like, Hey, I know I need to do X, Y, Z to get to the, the pinnacle of being a player. But I'm curious with NIL, like, do you think it was safe to say that most guys in the locker room kind of knew the value um, where they were, I guess, in the open market. And like, based off that, they kind of knew if it was acceptable to kind of chase money or versus not chasing money. Yeah. And I would say like a lot of the deals were not people chasing after stuff. It was more so like, you know, companies reaching out to uh, different people. And that's, that's kind of how it was. There were deals that, you know, you could put a bid in for like on the open door app. It was kind of like, you know, how you apply for a scholarship, right? Like if you're, you know, applying for academic scholarships, it was kind of like, you know, you, you apply for it, you know, the company reviews it and then, you know, decides, you know, if, if you get it or not. And that's, that's kind of how a lot of them were. So, you know, a lot of guys didn't really do that because it was like, like you said, like, know your worth, right? Like, know, you know, where you're at, like on the team and, you know, what your value is. So I think guys did a good job at that. Um, you know, there wasn't anybody really like upset that they weren't getting this or weren't getting that. It was, it was pretty like, you know, somebody would reach out to you and be like, oh, that's, you know, that's awesome. Really grateful. So it wasn't, it wasn't any of that. Was there an NIL deal that you wish you uh, had while you were playing that, um, <laughs> didn't necessarily come to fruition. Mine was the KK when they, when they asked me this last time, which I'm sure is no surprise, but. Okay. Um, I would have to say like, if I, a McDonald's one would be sweet, but I know that probably wouldn't be okay. I think that'd be like frowned upon, but um, like any like food place, like any kind of food dealings. I know the Chanel's had like a deal with Texas roadhouse, which I wish like we would have gotten a part of that would have been sweet. Like a free steak every week. Like that, that would have been awesome because I, I go there a lot anyway. So I would have saved myself some money. <laughs> I love oh, that. That's, about, that's, that's fantastic. You, 
Is there any uh, any places that you wish you could have gotten? Aside from the KK? Aside from the KK. Aside from the KK. You uh, sponsored by the KK. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, I lost money. I came out of their college in decks. I spent so much money in there. I think they owe me a, a refund. But, but uh, no, besides that, it would be um, honestly like the problem with it's a blessing and it's a curse in Wisconsin is like, Matt, you know this, like there's so many great restaurants everywhere yeah. that in most college campuses, like you have the generic Chipotle pot belly, right? Like that's it. Wisconsin's like, Oh, it's Friday night. Like what we shoot a tornado room. Like, yeah. Let's go to the old fashioned, like, like yeah, let's go to the old fashioned. let's pinkies up. Let's drink some brandy old fashions. And yeah, exactly. Eat. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's so many restaurants where you can lose money, but it's worth it. Cause the food's great, great atmosphere. But so I'd say my top three restaurants in Madison are if you want Italian, Naples 15, my boy Sal over there. It's a great, great place. Love Naples 15. That would have been a sweet deal. Um, steak, I'm biased. Like Tornado Room is fantastic. I think Tornado Room is just like I think that's pretty universal. House. I think that's I think Tornado yeah. Room is pretty universal. Some people that some people say rare, and I think rare is a great establishment. Rare is a great spot, but I like Tornado Room. And I don't then, even know if Rare was around when I was there in the mid 2000s. Yeah, I think uh, I think Rare. Uh, Tornado Room came. was, and uh, Tornado Room was delicious in from 2004 to 2008. I can tell you that much. Oh, affordable yeah. too. It was definitely Tornado is definitely like affordable to be able to mm-hmm. go eat. Yeah. All right, so that's two. What's your third spot? Sneaky, sneaky spot. Um, and I might get some headache because people think I'm a little bougie for it, but Tempest Oyster Bar. If anyone's been there, it's the sister yeah. restaurant. Yes, I've I been. love Tempest. Tempest is, I went, whenever my parents came to town, I was making them take me to either Tempest or Naples 15. And, you know, graduation dinner after I graduated, Naples or uh, Tempest was my spot. So shout out to people at Tempest. Great East Coast oysters that they ship in daily. Um, always kind of a rotating special menu. They usually have like a venison lobster tail surf and turf deal. That's fantastic. So shout out Tempest. Wow, Tempest I'm still, I'm still getting, available get... for sponsorships if they're interested. <laughs> yeah. And where, and, and so is the show. The show is available for sponsorships <laughs> yeah. as well, you know? Um, so, but no, uh, Tyler, no, another question for you. So we, we, we never got to it. Like I have to ask your official visit. Who is your host? What was your experience on your official? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so my official, I had a blast at my official. That was, uh, I was already committed. So like I already had, you know, my stones in place, but I remember my official visit. Um, you know, I went with Logan Bruss was kind of one of the guys I was with Aaron Vopel was another guy. Shout out Aaron Vopel. Um, so though Alex Fenton was there, you know, there was, there was a good amount of guys, but I remember my, my hosts were, was kind of like the class above mine. So it was like Cole Van Lannan, Luke Benchwall. Like those guys, <laughs> I remember it was just like we were just bouncing around from party to party all night, <laughs> just get you know drinking, having a blast, like the usual like official visit stuff. Like it was a ton of fun. So you weren't uh, drinking because you were underage. Remember? Oh like yeah, time. yeah. Don't yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we were drinking. We were drinking soda. It was a blast. Yeah, exactly. A lot of water. A lot of water. It was it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Um, I just remember Luke Benchwall like took us to like liquid for a little bit. That was terrible, <laughs> terrible time. It wasn't. <laughs> and I, I was I, I was uh, I don't even think I was eighteen yet. So I had to like I remember I used like Luke Benchwall's ID to get me in. He, they stamped like a little sticker on me and stuff. It was it was a lot of fun. But like the guys that were there, it was a blast. Like 
um, you know, like getting to know like Cole Van Lannan and, and Luke and all those guys, it, it was, it was fun. Like just knowing all those dudes. When you first came in, was there someone who kind of like took you under their wing? Like, was, was there like another lineman who like, was this like, who like looked out for you? I would say like the two guys that probably looked out for me were probably like Demo and Micah. Those were kind of like the two guys that kind of helped us out. Like, cause you know, like, um, like the class above mine, they were kind of focused on their own stuff. Like they mm-hmm. were, you know, they were too caught up in like figuring out, you know, their, their stuff. And, um, like Demo and Micah were kind of the guys that, you know, understood the situation we were in, you know, we're able to like, you know, create that bridge between like the older guys and the younger guys. And like, because of like what they did, like I, I, you know, our class like took that to a whole nother level. Um, you know, when the younger classes started coming in, cause just like how much that helped me, I was like, you know, I got to do the same for all these other, you know, young guys. And so we started doing the same thing and like just creating that, you know, I guess that, that bond is like an O-line group, you know, all the way down to the earliest levels. Cause I thought, you know, that was like the most important thing is, um, you know, be like, you know, having a young guy, like not afraid to come up to an older guy and be like, Hey, like, how do I do this? Or, or just being able to ask questions without being like afraid of, you know, the older guys. And, and that's kind of what like Demo and, and Micah kind of taught me is just like, you know, you know, being able to share that knowledge of what, you know, like how to act, how to do stuff was just like tremendously helpful and being able to spread that to everybody else. Like I felt like, like you know, help the whole group as a whole. I, I, no, I appreciate you saying that, man. Uh, I, you know, I think it's not like the other guys didn't want to do that. I think we're, Micah are in a unique position where there's, there's players on the O-line, there's players on the roster who like, Hey, their main responsibility is getting, putting everything into game planning and getting their body ready. Cause, and they're also, they have, they know that they have a really good chance to be a high draft pick when the time comes, right? So they're laser focused on that. And everyone's been a great dude. Everyone's willing to talk, but I think there's, there's certain guys like if, for example, Mike and I, who, you know, at that point in time, our careers weren't necessarily in a position where we're thinking about the NFL and, and in general, we're like, all right, how do we make the most out of this experience? And I think what was really helpful for me when I was a young player was having those older guys who were like respected by the the dudes who are playing each and every down who they respect that guy, but also he's willing to lend a helpful hand to kind of teach the ways to the younger players. And I was always grateful, you know, have guys like that. Um, like Ben Hemer, Aiden McNamara, those are two guys that, you know, Badger fans might remember, but they, they were like that for me. And then Micah Kapoy too, like Mike is the best. So um, I think Mike and I, we really, especially when Tyler came in that season, like both of us realized we wanted to, improve on the field and put us in positions to compete and start, especially when that great class of, you know, Dieter, um, you know, at the time, John Deepson, Bill Benchwell, when all those guys moved David Edwards, when they moved on to the next level, we wanted to be ready to compete. But at the same time, we thought it was really important to like, you know, make sure the other guys know that like, Hey, you know, don't learn from our mistakes, believe in yourself. Don't let anybody tell you, like, don't put a limit on yourself. Just keep fighting. And it does get better. Right. There's a certain day where all of a sudden it clicks, like you're one of the guys. Um, and when that day happens, it's, it's a brotherhood straightforward. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like being able to, being able to like coach those young guys too, like it definitely contributes to your own like learning process as well. Like you, like being able to, to coach those things, like helps you like understand, you know, the plays and the playbook and why you're doing stuff. Like it emphasizes that. And like, without you even knowing, like it helps you retain and remember that information. And, and it's kind of like a, it's kind of like another, uh, like level of learning, I guess is, is teaching. And it, it's, you know, coach really like kind of drilled that into our brains as well. It's just kind of that, that, that whole process. Tyler, I have a, I have a question for you and Matt, forgive me if we shouldn't pivot in this direction, but no, I mean, you're you, good. You're good. Since, uh, 
I mean, since 2019, right? Like we, we had a great season that year. We unfortunately had the two tough losses, um, but then, you know, the Rose Bowl was brutal, um, but that was a great experience overall, right? And like overall people, I think people view that as a successful season. Since then, it was, you know, a lot of ups and downs um, in your career and just in the program in general. What was the last, you know, three seasons? What has that been, you know, been like? What made you want to stay in Wisconsin? Um, and really, if you want to kind of excel, like, you know, this year, I'm sure it was very challenging. If you want to expand on that, we'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, it was definitely, you know, after that, after that Rose Bowl year, obviously it was the the COVID year and it was weird. Um, it was, it was a really weird. Um, you know, I felt like I had, been, I had been doing, like I had been doing really well. Like my spring ball had been going really good. Um, like her dirt, sorry, let me go back. So like the COVID year, it was weird. Everything got shut down. It was so strange. Like you could just tell, like, because during COVID, you know, you weren't able to create a lot of those relationships with, you know, a younger team that we had it kind of created, you know, a little bit of like a, you know, not, not bad locker room situation, but kind of what I was talking about, like guys weren't as close as they should have been. And, and, and I don't blame that on, on anybody, but you know, the whole situation that was going on around the globe, um, it was just weird, but you know, the O-line group that we had that year was a, a pretty solid group. Um, I know like the O-line that we had like played really well. Um, you know, I remember we would always score really high, like after every game, you know, it was just kind of like a, it was a weird situation, right? Like the O-line's playing well, but, you know, we got things here and there that are just, you know, not there. So it was a weird season. And then, you know, after that, coming into the uh, uh, 21 season, you know, we're really excited. You know, I, I had been having a great spring ball. I was, I was super jacked. And then I had this like crazy ankle injury that happened. I was just, I was doing this ramp run and I got done doing it. And as I was walking down, my ankle just like blew up. It just blew up. It was weird. Like it didn't, I didn't like pop anything. I didn't tear anything. It just like swelled up like a balloon. It was crazy. And like, it was so bad. I was like screaming in pain. And I remember I went home that night and like, I, I like had to sleep on my like hands and knees. It was crazy. But, um, it turned out I had something called like reactive synovitis. It was so weird. It was like the weirdest thing that like has ever happened. It's just like overuse of your joints where they just start leaking fluid. And like, they didn't know what it was for like months. They were like thinking it was like this tumor and stuff. Like this is all like coming up into the season. Like it was like in july i was like freaking out i was like i don't even know if i'm gonna play they're saying like your career might be over i was freaking out wow yeah it was crazy and then like you know they just said screw it they sent me up to green bay to um get like ankle surgery from like one of the best uh ankle surgeons in the country um and he just went and he scoped it out and he's like yeah it's just like it's just fluid like it's just a, your joints were leaking fluid like it's just gonna take some time to recover um so like i remember it was like uh i got like one week of practice before the 21 season it was it was it was rough. Like I was learning how to run like, you know, two weeks before that. And like, I kind of lost like my, you know, mojo, like kind of feeling it out. It was weird. Like injuries do that to you. Right. Like, yeah. Emo knows, like, I'm sure, you know, like how like injuries can affect like how you perform and like your mental process. Like I remember I came to the Penn state, like did terrible. Like I was getting roasted online, kind of like the open door man with demo. Like it was a whole, whole, whole shebang. And then like, you know, we lost that game and then, you know, we, I think we lost like what, like three in a row where we were like one and three, we were doing really bad. But then like, you know, I, I started to, you know, just kind of adapt to like my ankles, started playing around with it and figured some things out. Team started getting momentum. Seven in a row. Yeah. yeah. It, was sweet. it was sweet. Uh, yeah. we like it. It was the combination of your ankle and, uh, Braylon Allen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Run like we started, you know, it kind of, you know, we were getting some flares of that that 2019 season as like a group, you know, started figuring some stuff out. 
And then, you know, you know, it's crazy that that Minnesota game that, you know, was supposed to take us to the big, big 10 championship. The whole team was deathly sick the night before the game. It was so bad. Everybody really? had like, yeah, everybody had like the flu. They had to like, and it wasn't COVID. They just had, they had to quarantine everybody. Like I remember my Josh Seltzer, like he went to bed at six, uh, 6 PM, uh, before the game. Like it, he was like so sick. I was sick. Like dudes were like hacking up lungs. It was so bad. And like, we came into that game, like nobody was prepared just because they were just, you know, so sick. It was bad. Well, and then on top of that, you lose Colin on the first play. Right, right. right? And, that was- and, we, and we had him, we, we had him on like a couple weeks after the, or not a couple, I guess it was like two or three months after the game. And he was talking about like, A, that like, yeah, like what no one knows. Like everyone was sick. Everyone was keeping their guts up. And like the fact that you guys even stayed as close as you did is kind of like right. a testament to, to that. So, right. I, th- um, I think it was a, I think it was a, um, like a bioweapon Minnesota deployed in the food or something. <laughs> <laughs> Conspiracy theories. I love yeah. It. But it, it was, it, it was, it was bad. And then, you know, we went out and played in the, in the, uh, Las Vegas bowl and it was fun. You know, we won hard earned win and, you know, coach Rudolph, that was like, he talked to us and was like, Hey, like I'm out of here guys. Like he was letting us know it was, it was rough. It was really hard. Like, you know, like guys were crying and, you know, I, for good reasons. Like he's a, he's a great guy. And, you know, he's like, it's, it's weird, you know, switching to line coaches after him being for so long. So it, it, it was tough. Like him telling us it was his last game and that meeting was hard and, you know, love the man to death and wish him well where he's at. But, you know, after that, we come into this season, high hopes, you know, had a good team, had a good group of guys, but, uh, you know, kind of new, newish offense, you know, not, not crazy new, but, you know, different, you know, names for stuff, not crazy different, but, you know, different names, you know, different, you know, kind of schemes, different, you know, thinking a little bit. So, um, you know, just, I think it was just guys trying to figure that out. And then you now obviously PC getting fired in the middle of the season. That was rough. Like that was rough, man. Like, you what know, nobody through your mind where that happened. Like where, do you remember where you were when the news kind of broke? Yeah, we, we were actually, we were at, um, the donor's house that I was talking about before. Really? It was really awkward. Um, and it wasn't announced, but they said that we had a team meeting on Sunday night and like that, you know, as Demo would know, that never happens. Like you never do yeah. that. There had been some rumors and, and talks about it, but it was like, you know, we started last year, you know, about, about the same. Why would they, you know, get rid of them now? And then we come to the meeting and it, it was rough, man. Like, stormed out of the meeting room and you know it was it was weird it was a really weird situation um you know getting rid of the coach chris i, I love the man he's a great coach and um you know gave yeah. me gave me every opportunity that i had so same man i wouldn't yeah. say anything different about it um great yeah, guy I, I don't think there's ever been a, a a negative syllable uttered about coach chris from anyone who he's coached yeah he's yeah. he's 100 a player's coach like he doesn't care about the fame doesn't care about any of that doesn't care about the media like all he cares about is the guys. Like, yeah. he's a guy, like you could go and talk to if you got like going on. No matter like who you were on the team, like he knew everybody, which was yeah. awesome. Well, I think the I think the hardest part about the way that he was let go for all the former players is the guy. You know, he's lived Wisconsin his entire life, basically. Like his dad, you know, coached in the state. He played here. He coached, came back, coached, came back. Like he's an all time Badger. He's everything you know a Badger football player, a Badger alumni should be. And I think a lot of us, you know, if, you know, we get it, business happens, sometimes you need to make a switch. I think we all would have liked to see him at least finish out the season um, instead of putting you guys through 
the situation that yeah. you guys ultimately went through. Um, right. What was it like? I mean, after you left, Coach Leonard comes in, and, and for you know, for better sake of the word, it seemed like Coach Leonard did a really good job of bonding you guys together and letting you finish up the season. But can you expand on what that was like a little bit more? Yeah, Coach Leonard, like it was awesome because he, you know, he wasn't trying to, you know, ch- you know, change a bunch of stuff. Like he was, and you know, his his whole job was kind of like keep you know everybody together, keep the team together, and he did a great job at that. Um, you know, like he didn't really get the benefit of the doubt. Cause like that was, that was his job that that whole year was just trying to keep the, you know, the place from falling apart. Um, so he wasn't able to, you know, do anything crazy or, you know, throw promote like a bunch of new stuff just cause he was, he was trying to keep, you know, his players, you know, happy with the program and, and happy with everything. But, you know, he did a great job. He rallied us. Um, you know, we started winning some games here and there and it was just, it was a weird season, man just having to go through all that. And yeah, it was just rough. Like I, I, I felt bad. I, I felt really bad for like all the younger guys. Cause obviously we didn't know what the situation was going to be like, like what it is now. But like before, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen and they weren't, you know, telling coach Leonard, like, you know, what the situation was going to be. And, you know, he was unsure and it was just rough, but you know, the new staff uh, that came in like coach fickle, I've heard, you know, tremendous things about him. Um, I was, I, I didn't play in the bowl game. Um, cause I, I, I wanted to start prepping for, uh, my hula bowl because towards the end of, uh, this past year, I started playing tight end cause I, I'd hurt my ankle. So I like, you know, time to rest that and, and get ready for my, my senior bowl game that I was excited for. But, um, I went to the first team meeting that coach fickle was in and it, it was, it was awesome. Like his message to the team was like, we're here to change stuff. And, you know, rightfully so the game is changing. Um, you know, you can't just, you know, it's hard to run like power formations now. Cause you know, they just put, <laughs> they just put like nine guys in the box. It's like, all right, throw the ball then. So did you see the know, stat by the way, about Braylon, about eight man boxes? I, saw that, the most, I mean, like most you would, you know, you were trying, oh, yeah, you, were, you were trying to block those dudes. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be very, very different. Yeah. I know, uh, talking to some of the guys that are on the O-line now, he said that, you know, the O-line shouldn't see more than six-man boxes pretty much all year, which is exciting. Like, as an O-lineman, that's awesome. It's like you just point to the guy you're going to. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tyler, you know, too, like when, and when we've had those seasons with like, especially with like guys like Quintez, A.J. Taylor, Jake Ferguson, like when we had, um, and Jack Cohn, too, like when we were in, when Hornibrook, before that, when Hornibrook was humming, and those, you know, those, during that season, like when the passing game opens up, it opens up the run game so much more and we're able to get, you know, guys like JT to just have monster seasons, incredible back, but it makes our life as an O-line so much easier. And I think moving forward, like next year, I'm so excited for this group of guys. You know, some of them were there when I was there. A lot of them, I think actually almost all of them are gone. Now Joe yeah. is the last, Joe is the last one, but you know, you meet some guys in the, in the, uh, like Nelly, you know, just younger guys. And I'm excited to see them kind of ball out. You know what I mean? Ernie's still there, by the way. Oh, I forgot about Fernie. Fernie. <laughs> the old Fernie man come Fernie. back. Oh, man. Back. He, he, he dipped his toe in the in, in the transfer portal what is that what is the entr- introduction of the transfer portal been like for you know cul- for badger culture i mean because it's it, it, i remember it was interesting I, i'm gonna go back to what we talked about with colin again because he's just like because he's like because he was a transfer but he's like i had to go tell my head coach that i, I was listening to this clip earlier today for some reason i had to go tell my coach face to face i want to transfer and he had to say yes or no like the coaches could tell you not to transfer and then you right. had to sit out the year and now you can just peace out and your locker's empty the next day. I mean, that's right. got to be crazy. 
Yeah, it's it's weird. It, it definitely is weird. And like Wisconsin had never been like dudes had rarely transferred out. Like that had no, never there have been like two, like two like in, real notable ones. Yeah, yeah. In the two thousands. Right. And like even like we never I don't as an O line group, we never had a single O line transfer in. So, you know, this I can't like I'm sure it's it's different. Like with all these, you know, I know there's some transfer alignment that came in and they're really good players, like absolutely. Um, so I'm like, I'm excited to see that, but it's definitely weird. You know, I think there's some pluses to it for guys that may not be in the right situation to be able to go find a home and play well. But also, you know, if you're a young guy and you know, you you may think that, you know, you're not getting the playing time you think, um, and then you decide to leave, like, especially as a young guy like that you know, every young guy thinks that me, I'm sure Demo thought the same way. I thought the same way. Like I, I was like, I should be starting blah, 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 blah. But like, in reality, it's all about waiting, you know, for your time and, and when you're ready. Cause you know, when you're a good player, you'll most likely, you know, end up on the field. So it's, yeah. it's kind of those situations where like for an older guy, I get it, you know, based on your situation, but for a younger guy, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's up in the air because well, you don't isn't know. The other thing that like you're always just one injury away. Like when when, when you know when, when you see a guy who's second on the depth chart, like literally in the two deep entering the transfer portal mid season, it's like to me at least for me on the outside, I'm thinking you know what are you doing? That guy in front of you can get injured on any play, and you could be getting his reps. So I I personally like that's just me, but maybe I'm I'm just old. Yeah, no, yeah, hundred percent, and entire like. You know this. I mean, you're you're training for the draft, right? Like the opportunity to play at the next level, the dream of every football player. It's it's right in front of you, right? And for a lot of Badger players, like the opportunity's there. But let's face it, it's like the old enterprise rental car commercial. Like, what is it? Like ninety seven percent or ninety nine percent of college athletes will go pro in something other than sports, right? Guys like me, and it's one of those things. I think there's a tremendous undervalue of grinding a situation out you know, maybe you don't necessarily necessarily get the playing time you want, but you're part of a team, you're a part of institution, you're a part of an alumni base and network that presents opportunities, you know, to you for the rest of your life. Like being a Wisconsin football player, being able to say I stuck it out for five years, that's helped me immensely in my career. Right. It's opened up opportunities for, you know, Matt to invite me on the podcast and, and talk to you and like, still feel like I'm involved. Right. Like, I think, you know, every kid's different. You have to view it as, a, as you know, some kids have to focus on getting the next level for a monetary purpose, but, you know, don't be afraid to gr- old school, grind it out because you never know what opportunity is going to open for you. Like, I didn't even see the field really until my fifth year. Right. And, um, it's yeah, great and, things and next thing you know, you're starting the Rose Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. And you have a chance to go in the, ne- the next level and you got to evaluate the situation then. But at least I gave myself, you know, the opportunity that, hey, football is not my end all be all. I have a great relationship network that I built at the university of Wisconsin. That's always going to be there for me. So I think that's um, something that I encourage kids and recruits and younger guys to keep in mind as well. And I, and like Demo is like the perfect epitome of like grinding up. Never know when your opportunity is going to rise. Like he is the perfect example of that. Cause like Demo's career hadn't been, you know, what he expected for like the longest time. And, you know, a lot of people face the same situation. And the next thing you know, Timo's having, you know, the greatest spring ball an offensive lineman has ever had truly. And then he's like, he's on the list of like, you know, dudes that are going to start and, you know, ends up balling out the whole year. And that's, that's just how it is. Like, you never know, you know, what the situation is going to be like. You never know like what your time or like when your time will be. 
And like, I mean, Demo, I mean, he was playing fullback and tight end and he was taking every chance he got and was like murdering guys on the field. Like truly, like he made me watch Tyler. Stop. (laughs) For dudes. And like, you know, coach Rudolph, even coach Rudy after Demo left, like would always share Demo's story because it was, you know, it was that impactful and that truthful, like grinding out those years, like means so much more than maybe looking for that, that instant satisfaction of playing. And I'm sure like, I'm sure Demo had opportunities to to transfer or go somewhere else. And I'm sure he thought about it because I, you know, there are, there were times where I thought about it too. And, you know, maybe I wasn't in the right spot and I wanted to leave, but like just being able to, to, to grind out those years and being able to think like, I, you know, I really did this. I, I worked through all this and achieved what I wanted to achieve. And like, just having that, you know, on your back is like something that nobody can take away from you for like the rest of your life. And obviously it's, it's expanded into Demo's career as well. Like he's doing great right now. Beach, right. Dude. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that, man. And like your career has been, this is gonna be like a, a weird like love. This, love this is what we're here for. Like, this right, is what yeah. we're here for. I mean, but, but but Tyler, I mean, just look at I mean your own career, right? Like you came in like highly recruited, and you know everyone knew you had immense talent right off the bat. And you know the first couple of years, like obviously you could have gone to a lot of places to start right away, but you the same thing, man. You just kept grinding, and you know 2019, you split time, you played a lot, and then after that, you were a three year starter, and now you're gonna go play in the league. Like that's a pretty amazing story too, right? So. Beautiful, beautiful thing of it. There's opportunity when you come to Wisconsin, you can play in the league. You can, you know, set yourself up for a career after football. I think, um, the main lesson that I kind of like would tell kids when they come into is like, you know, don't be afraid to grind it out. But at the same time, like make sure you buy in on day one. Don't like let a moment slip by because I had moments earlier in my career, or maybe if I just would have been more prepared, either emotionally, like a little bit stronger mentally, I could have maybe played earlier. Right. But for whatever reason, I was like, no, that my time will come, but don't be afraid to grasp the moment, like buy in day one, be locked in, uh, be a buyer. Don't be a seller, Tyler. And like good things will happen. So, um, yeah, I think it's a special place. That's for sure. Couldn't agree more. I think that is the perfect place for us to wrap it up here tonight. Um, Tyler, now we're just going to have to have you back because I actually have, I literally have at least a dozen more questions for you that we couldn't even get to. I can do one rapid fire one right now. Toughest badger to block, like one-on-one on an island, and toughest non-badger to block in your career? I, I would have to say Isaiah Loudermilk is the toughest defensive lineman I've ever gone against. You cannot block that man at all. And I've never seen anybody do it successfully. Why? What makes him so un- un- unblockable? He's he's like he's long, he's strong, and he's powerful. Like he you try to reach like in practice, you try to reach that guy on a reach block, it's like it's like reaching Aaron Donald is like a comparison. <laughs> like it's. I remember, I like his recruiting story to me was fascinating. He played like eight man football in high school. He was like quarterback and like everything amongst everything else. And like some of the clips, like watching him in rural Kansas, is kind of hysterical. <laughs> those were the, the, those are some of my favorite. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a junkie, right? I love the recruiting stuff. And yeah. like, you know, especially when you get an Isaiah Loudermilk, like I just, I re- he was one of the guys I remember very vividly A because he had two H's at the end of his last name. And because he was playing eight man football and just like throwing dudes like left and right. Like it was nothing. I'm sure I, Isaiah is a, he's special, man. I was, just, I was actually his official visit host when he came and uh, it was just his career. I mean, the guy like came in, like didn't really know, I think much about what a D1 program is like. And he became 
one of the Badger greats. Now he's crushing it for the Steelers. So yeah. it's, it, I agree. He was the hardest guy I ever won against. Um, and you know, that's saying something because we, you know, we played against guys like Chase Young, like Mo Hurst in the day, uh, even George Kalafkas. Yeah. Like we played against some really good players, uh, Thibodeau, like, but Isaiah by none is the most challenging person we've ever had to block. Um, Matt question for you though, rapid question since we're doing it. How'd you, how'd you break into the business, man? You talked about your recruiting junkie, like, you know, what, what made you want to start the podcast with Bernie? Um, I I think we want the people to know about you. You've been asking us questions. Well, uh, I I will be brief because, you know, you guys are the stars. But I started podcasting in 2015, a different show called the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. We just did our 300th episode this year. Um, Nice. Congratulations. Earlier earlier in the year, it is me, uh, my my roommate from Madison, uh, Josh Cook who is actually an Iowa Hawkeyes fan. He's not a Badger fan, even though he went to UW, um, which we, 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 we don't, which we don't talk about, but actually we do. It's like about, Judas. I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a little strange. It's a little strange, but it's strange. His brother went to Michigan and is also a Hawkeye fan. They're, they're from Iowa city. They, but whatever. Mm. Anyway. And then my buddy, Corey, who uh, went to Georgia, worked for the Georgia program in the video department, worked for rivals.com in the video department and is a high school offensive coordinator here in Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. We started doing that podcast, and I was just interested. I'm like, these guys know a lot about football. Josh has a really good blog. Corey works for Rivals. Let's just get them together and talk. We started doing it, and we just did it. I had no idea what I was doing. Went back and listened to one of the earlier episodes for the 300th celebration. Listened to the audio quality, and I was just like, I'm ashamed of myself. Um, (laughs) But here we are. Started podcasting for Believe during the pandemic 2020 with a Vanderbilt show here in Nashville. My wife is a Vandy alum. We're Vandy season ticket holders. Um, I, uh, you know, for better or for worse, a lot of the times, because if you've watched Vanderbilt play football, you know, it's <laughs> where, well, it, 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 it's, it's the, uh, I don't know. Like there's no equivalent in the big 10. There's no big 10, like even like Northwestern, which should be the equivalent. Northwestern's good half the time. So yeah. there's no, there's no equivalent in the, you know, so, uh, but I started doing it for them. And I was like, listen, like my heart's with the Badgers. You guys know my heart is with the Badgers. That's what I want to do is have a fine, go out on your own. Like I did solo podcasts for the, uh, starting late 2020, uh, just had like recruits on. And like, we were ta- like, I had TJ Bullers on, I had Al Ashford on Mike Jarvis. Uh, who else did I have from that class? Deacon Hill. Um, just starting to talk to those guys and people who cover the recruiting world. And, the summer of 2021, I I started getting into graphic design a little bit more. And so I made just made a bunch of Instagram graphics. Greatest badges of the 21st century by position. So I'm like, first one I put up is the backfield. Who have I got? I've got Russ. I've got Melvin. I've got Jonathan Taylor. And I've got Matt Bernstein. Because to me, Matt Bernstein is the greatest fullback who's played at Wisconsin. I know everyone's going to say Alec. And Alec is incredible in his own right. You know, it, but anyone who watched... Matt Bernstein in that Penn State game, and I was there in the stadium for it. Like, that was like a transformational, like, human moment for me. Like, seriously, it was like, it was my first college game day experience. It was my first night game at Camp Randall. As it was like, it was my freshman year. Yeah. Matt Bernstein comes out of his fast to single handedly take the offense and and beat Penn State, hurtling dudes. Like, it's a 270 pound fullback. With yeah. just with the black uh, with the eye black covering his entire face, and it was just it was a like an out of body experience like watching like that was the first time 
I experienced Cam Randall like whipped up into a fervor. Like you guys know how it gets. It's like at yeah. 11 out, it turned up to 11. And that was the first time I'd experienced Cam Randall turned up to 11. And that was just like amazing. And I followed Bernie's career for a long time after that and everything like that. And I just love Bernie. And Bernie just commented on the Instagram post, dude, that's really nice. Like I started DMing. I was like, dude, would you want to come on and talk with me? He comes on the show and it's like uh, just instant connection. We had the rapport immediately, kind of like we do, you know, I, you know, and, and th- there are certain guys who, you know, you get to know and just have it instantly. And Bernie and I had it instantly. And I knew from that second. So I'm like, immediately after that, episode, I'm like, how would you feel about doing this with me every week? Like, this sounds great. And here we are like a year. Here we are. A That's year awesome. And a half, here we are a year and a half later. And, uh, Thanks to you guys. We had 50,000 downloads in December. So I'm super, I'm super pumped about that. Um, and we are continuing forward. So uh, that's awesome, man. It's been a wild ride. I've been in this now for eight. This is my eighth year in the podcast world. And I'm just now, uh, you know, I'm starting to make a teensy little bit of money on it. So I can at least cover my operating expenses. But I love it, man. And, you know, and through this, I've gotten to meet a lot of other people. Clint Cosgrove, who works for Rivals, has become one of my closest friends. I now work for the Rivals Badger page, doing producing a TV segment for them once a week. That's on their YouTube page. And I've gotten to know so many different Badgers and people who are around the Badgers. And I've just always been someone who likes to... I, I care probably more about the off-the-field stuff than I do the on-the-field yeah. stuff. Like, yes, I live and die with every single freaking down. Like, I can't... I can't... When, like, if another team is driving the ball on the Badgers, like, I cannot watch the game. Like my wife gets yeah. my my wife gets like upset because I get like physically ill. I walk out of the room like I can't watch it. I will have to turn it off to like go back through and process things. I'm like, okay, now I know the result. I can I can watch this and process it. But as I've gotten to know more and more Badgers off the field, and like that's the stuff I care about. And I think that for a lot of fans, and like one of the reasons that Wisconsin is special is because we I, I think that they the university and the athletic department not just project themselves but also really embody like it's the person you are off the field is just as important if not well in many ways is more so important than the person you are on the field and so and i think that is one of the things that attracted me to wisconsin in the first place just as a student and you know i was i was a student athlete for a minute like i always say until chris presley went and took my lunch money and then (laughs) um but but you know it's just and so I want to tell those stories because I think the people off the field are way more interesting. I, I, I think like it's cool. Yeah. We've, we've, we've seen what you did on the field, but I'm way more interested in what your official visit was like. What happened uh, on a random Tuesday on scout team when you got your beat by, uh, by, by, by Nick Herbig the first time you saw him in practice, try to ru- go, you know, rush around you and realize, oh crap, this guy can freaking fly off the line. Those are the stories to me that are way more exciting than anything that happens under the lights on a Saturday. No, Absolutely. I, I love it, man. Um, no, I mean, like, first, I mean, like, that moment, like, it's not only just a great Wisconsin sports moment, it's a iconic college football moment, right? In general, Bernie, and he brings, you know, he is the relationships, he's a legend. So he brings that credibility. And then obviously, like, you have the background in media. And uh, I really appreciate more than, you know, there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of good Badger content out there. But I think you hit on the head. And sometimes there's a lack in the stories. And so I appreciate you guys telling the stories, having guys like myself and Tyler on and, um, it's been fun to see it grow and excited to see where everything goes. So appreciate it. Keep it up. Well, that is, uh, I, it, it, you, I, I remember, you know, uh, this was like a couple months ago, Mike Eccles 
like oh, Mike Eccles is like DMing us being like, can I come on the show? It's like, hey, Mike, you were like, you were a four-year starter in All-American. Like, yeah, hey, yes. Like you, people <laughs> reaching out to us to come on the show. That was my, that's my holy belief moment, right? Like, I can't believe that these people are DMing us, say they think, can I come on the show to talk? what the heck like like, who am I? like why do you want to like why do you want to talk why do you want to talk with me like i'm just like you want to talk with bernie yeah i get everyone's bernie but you know but i'm like the, that is really cool and like to find out that like a lot of former badgers listen to this i was like like a very significant portion of our listening audience is actually former badger players I'm, like that to me that's the coolest thing i don't need a dime from this to know that like these guys love and love reliving those moments and love hearing the moments from the guys from the other generation to me that's like payment enough times a thousand like it's awesome i just love telling short stories and sharing badger stories and want to keep doing so absolutely man so. love it dude all right well this is going we're going to wrap up a phenomenal show here an extended show here today with david mormon and tyler beach tyler best of luck to you going through the draft process we're gonna we're gonna have to circle back with you you know r- right after you get drafted um and go pro and uh talk about transitioning as a rookie with you as well. Um, you know, it's uh, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you for everything you did for the Badger program. David, thank you for being the man. Um, and uh, folks out there, don't be surprised when David becomes a recurring co-host because let's face it, we love him. So um, that is enough for us here today on the Believe in Badgers podcast presented by betonline.ag. Uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, on Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. On Wisconsin, baby. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.